This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We are beginning a a new series on repentance. This is coming from um, uh, one of our listeners reaching out and asking some questions about it, and we've thought that this would be a, a topic that others might benefit from, and so that is why it is being aired. If you have questions and topics that you are wondering about, and you can just send those to thegospelforlifeidaho at gmail.com, and we'll either answer it in a just an email back, or we might once again think, you know what, this would be helpful for many of our listeners. Yesterday, we dealt with counterfeit repentance. Today, in the days moving forward, we want to deal with true repentance. Remember, we're using the work of Thomas Watson, the doctrine of repentance. We have other resources that we're reading from and looking at. Maybe one of these days, we'll give you a list of those resources that you could avail yourself to. I'm going to begin with a quote from Watson. He says, Gospel repentance is a grace of God's Spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Repentance is a spiritual medicine made up of six special ingredients. If any one is left out, it loses its virtue. And those six that he is going to talk about are the sight of sin, sorrow for sin, confession of sin, shame for sin, hatred for sin, and turning from sin. So sight, sorrow, confession, shame, hatred, and turning. And over the next couple of days, we're going to go through each of those on the list. The first is the sight of sin. So let's talk through this with our listeners to help them understand what is being addressed in this particular ingredient. I think one of the, the um, miracles that Jesus performed often that we we see is his giving sight to the blind and you know that's jesus is obviously helping people in a physical situation in a physical way but those miracles point to his power to heal but also point to spiritual realities and the fact is that we are all blind by nature spiritually blind and we need new eyes and so you know, it says in Acts chapter twenty six eighteen, speaking of Christ, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, the power of Satan to God. Mm-hmm. You know, we need eyes given to us by Christ to be able to see the situation that we are in, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So the sight of sin and knowing it. Yeah, Jesus gives us an example of this in Luke 15 in the parable of the lost sons or the prodigal father, mm-hmm. where the, uh, the son who's gone and spent the inheritance face down in a pigsty says comes to himself he begins mm-hmm. to see the the end of this path of sin and disobedience toward his family in light of what it really is and so that's this idea of again seeing ourselves as, as a sinner from the eyes of christ mm-hmm. 
It it is really what we are coming up on at, at Easter. Have you seen your sins? Have you seen the cross of Christ? This week it was in uh, Matthew twenty six, uh, speaking about the Lord's agonies in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the horror of sin is coming upon him, and and he's he has withdrawn. He's going to have to bear it all himself, and. Uh, you know the that anguish of the sweating great drops of blood you know the the in one sense he actually saw sin with a great clarity of what it of what it did the reprehensible act of sin before a holy god he also was recognizing that the cup that he was going to drink was the cup of God's wrath against sin. And, you know, this idea of seeing sin, you have to see uh, where it ends. You know, it ends in the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus Christ, you know, and this tremendous wrath of God that is not able to wink at and ignore sin but it must be punished, and it's going to be punished in ourselves or in another. And in this case, it's Jesus Christ that's going to bear that punishment. And I, you know, I, I think that even going to that passage in Matthew 26, where we see Christ and in his agony over this sin, is a, is a great way to see the sin that we brought to the table. One of the, the, effects of sin is spiritual blindness and it's interesting that it it only tends to blind us to our own Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we can still see sin in other people Mm -hmm. but because of self-love we deceive ourselves and we're not as bad as those other people that's right and so then we don't actually see um that sin and so one of the gifts of repentance True repentance is the ability to see it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that sounds odd to our listeners, like, wait, why would that be a grace to be able to see the awfulness, the horror, the everything that Jonathan mm-hmm. was describing? Why would that be a gift? Because mm-hmm. um, we need to know the bad news. We need to know where we stand before God for even the littlest of sins. And I think, you know, the more I, I meditate on the fall of mankind and I, I see the wisdom of God and the graciousness of God in having that first sin that plunged us all into darkness be eating a piece of fruit, you know, something that we would judge as something as a minor thing, but God is showing us through that that all sin, even minor thing, is is death, and mm. that is its wages, and that is what it deserves. It deserves death, and it deserves his wrath. But then as in Ephesians 2, as Paul points us to the fact of the deadness of sin and its results we come to verse 4 but God being rich in mercy it is all dependent on his mercy that we can have life mm-hmm. in him the second ingredient remember Watson is making the case that all six of these things have to be part of true repentance it's not like if you have one then you got it um, he's saying that repentance involves all of these and so the first was sight of sin and then the second one, which we're going to begin today and then we'll finish tomorrow, is sorrow for sin. And just to give you a taste of Watson, he will say, a woman may as well expect to have a child without pangs as one can have repentance without sorrow. You wouldn't expect a, a 
a female who's giving birth to say, I'm going to have a child and there's going to be no pain involved. And Watson is saying, well, you're also not going to have repentance without sorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is important to distinguish between what Paul would call worldly sorrow, which is this isn't sorrow over getting caught or suffering the consequences like we talked about in the previous episode. Uh, this is sorrow for the th- the thing itself. Again, you, you see the, the ugliness, the wretchedness, the the disaster and destruction that this thing is causing, and you are filled with, with deep grief over that. There's a word that Mark uses in Mark 10 to describe Jesus. It says he's indignant about uh, some of the disciples are doing, and that word means heavy grief. Mm-hmm. I think that, that would be a word that we become indignant with our sin, that just even the sight of it fills us with this frustrated grief over it mm-hmm. well even you know consider on a human level picture in your mind someone that you love dearly now imagine that you do something that completely destroys that relationship and it's it, it can't be repaired on a human level you know what kind of sorrow would you feel mm. um, how much more a god who is holy and just and loving and good and gracious and merciful and righteous that we have offended and we have done something to completely destroy our relationship and we can't bring it together. It is only by his work. That's if we have that sorrow on a human level, it should be that much more on our relationship with God. Scripture gives us a couple of examples of the sorrow for sin. Um, one is maybe the, the chapter of the Bible that, that deals with repentance most fully Psalm 51 where it describes it as a broken and contrite um, spirit. The other is in the New Testament with the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, that the tax collector is beating his breast, can't even look up to heaven. That's sorrow. That's, I mean, think about it on a, an, just a human level. You've, you've had people that have, have deeply hurt you mm-hmm. and have flippantly just said, mm, sorry. Mm-hmm. And it, you're like, wait, what? No. I mean, mm-hmm. you you absolutely hurt me to my very core of who I am. Mm-hmm. And now you're just going to flippantly say, I'm sorry? No, mm-hmm. that you don't understand. That's not s- true s- s- repentance because you would know that how much you hurt me should be matched by your own sorrow for what you've caused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the psalmist David says, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. And he's getting at that at that brokenness there, that, that, that real sorrow, true sorrow. Watson is going to say that this type of sorrow has really three effects. And the first is that it makes Christ precious. And Ryan, you were kind of talking about this before. Um, I don't know if you want to say anything more about this when you were talking about seeing our sin makes grace more, more, more rich. Yeah, I mean, when we consider um, what Christ did for us of going to the cross, laying down his life, shedding his blood, uh, that was the cost of our repentance. Drinking the cup of wrath that Jonathan was due was for us. About. Right. When we flippantly, as you just the example that you said, of just flippantly say, I'm sorry, I mean, that is a degrading of who Christ is. That's not taking consideration just how beautiful he is and wonderful he is and 
true genuine sorrow for sin is a right recognition of how precious Christ is to us and how glorious he is to us and that he went to the cross for us. The second thing that godly sorrow does is it drives out sin. Yeah, Watson has this wonderful archaic quote. He says, holy sorrow is the rhubarb to purge out the ill humors of the soul. One of the medicinal effects uh, for rhubarb at this time was to be uh, a diuretic or to relieve the effects of constipation. And so if your soul is stuck in a constipated state because of the sin you're practicing, this godly sorrow has a way to to purge it out of you in the same way that Watson would have prescribed rhubarb Rhubarb. to a a child (laughs) suffering. We're not going to encourage much just reflection on that. <laughs> we're just don't go move. out and buy a rhubarb. We're going to just move on to the third re, um, thing that sorrow, godly sorrow, actually does, which it makes way for solid comfort. He quotes from Psalm one twenty six, where mm. he says, "They that sow in tears shall reap in joy." Mm. Anybody want to just touch on that before we close for today? It's kind of on the other end of you know the the first to make Christ precious, yeah. The comfort that we have knowing He has dealt with those, and that despite our sin, He He calls us to come to Him, and He desires us to come to Him. Yeah, Jesus's response is tender compassion. Yep. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life, and we will continue on godly sorrow again tomorrow. Thank you for listening. <laughs>